Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. This is the last week in mortgage today, by the way. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative and uh, our weekly walkthrough, all the latest, greatest, all the latest news headlines, developments with the mortgage industry. And each week, I am pleased to be joined by one of our lender members as my co-host. And this week, back in the co-pilot seat, the Chief Financial Officer of Homestar Financial Corp, Stacey Moore. Stace, great to see you. Great to see you, Rich. Always, always a pleasure to be here. Let's go ahead and get into it. And uh, yeah, a couple of people in the chat noticed my Christmas decorations are are <laughs> going at the end there. I'm keeping the Christmas lights up though. Those anybody knows me knows those stay up year round. So still some some festivity in the background in our Zoom world here. But uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Stace and uh, a very excellent jobs report this past Friday. You know, big bearing on our industry. We'll get into the mechanics of that uh, momentarily here. But in general, it was about as positive of an employment report as you can get. Uh, 200,000 jobs were expected, and we got 517,000. Within that, wage growth was relatively muted. Uh, you know, all in all, precisely what the Federal Reserve is looking for, a robust a job market, but not stoking inflation and preventing, you know, some of the needed correction there to get our economy and also our industry kind of back on track. Uh, start with your initial thoughts on the jobs report last week, its impact on rates and and all that good stuff as we get into the second month of 23 here. Sure. Yeah, you're right that that was an impressive jobs report. Totally unexpected for it to be that big, especially, I mean, the news headlines are big companies doing big layoffs, right? Everyone expecting economic conditions to worsen. So they're reducing their staff. And yet you see another $500,000, 500,000 jobs created, record low unemployment. Um, it just, it, it seems like the two can't coexist. But what I really saw in terms of mortgage rates was this was the data that the markets needed to see in order to hear what Powell's been saying, which is we're going higher for longer because the market expectations that you could see in the pricing did not match what the Fed was saying. And we've seen after after Powell spoke on Thursday, still weren't really aligned. After the jobs report, more aligned. And then even yesterday, yesterday wasn't a, a great day for rates either. More of that moving in line with what the Fed is saying we're going to do. And <laughs> that's good because someone was wrong, right? <laughs> Either the Fed was wrong or the markets were wrong. And now we're seeing a little bit more uh, cohesiveness there. Not not good for, for rates, but uh, we had to get some correction there. It's interesting. You make so many good points there. I want to I want to dig deeper into, but really what the markets are saying right now is like we don't believe you, Jerome Paul. At least the immediate reactions, you know, because it, you know, last week you did not get the reaction you would have and into this week, the reaction you would have expected. Um, and, and the market reaction is completely different from the words coming out of the mouth of the Fed chairman, which is like, hey, we're not out of the woods. We're gonna keep freaking hammering rates and raising rates, and we're gonna keep biting this. It's a long haul. And the market's like, Ah, we're out of it. Yeah. <laughs> we're cutting <laughs> rates in a few months. Right. But but you know, you did have a little bit of that fear and loathing on the mortgage bond market this week kind of creep back in. And you know, because there is more optimism priced into the markets, which is really converse from what we saw last year, the markets were pricing in fear and loathing. Um, you know, uh, beyond reason. Um, and now we're kind of seeing a little bit 
Uh, the opposite, though, it, it seems like. <clears throat> yeah, a little bit. We're we're not in, aligned yet, but we're closer. We're getting there. We're getting there. So um, other big news uh, that broke recently. Uh, we've been talking since the news broke a week and a half or so ago about the revised FHFA Fannie Freddie loan level price adjustment slash delivery fee charts. Uh, certainly not what the market was looking for, or expecting there. Uh, we're kind of waiting to see what MBA would say. They made an initial comment and then a more coherent statement. I believe it was yesterday morning, you know, really calling on FHFA to, to re-examine uh, these changes and the impacts of them. You're right in the middle of all this, Stace. Your thoughts on, on all these developments. Yeah. So so the initial reaction from the MBA was, hey, this doesn't look too good. We're going to dig in some more. And And the letter that they sent to FHFA touched on that, that said, hey, we're in an affordability crunch and you're making it cost more. For, for good borrowers to get uh, loans. But the the most important piece, in my opinion, that they were really uh, pressing on was the DTI adjuster. And I've heard both sides of the arguments that this is totally doable and that this is completely not doable. And the, the truth in some ways is that both are right. Uh, income for some borrowers is a straightforward thing, but for a lot of borrowers, Dialing in an income number that's acceptable to the GSEs is more art than science, and you've got to you've got to really have someone who's an expert in that. Um, and you know, loan officers are going to have to get better at getting to that number sooner in the process to get that pricing right. But we're also encouraging borrowers to go online and help themselves and fill out those applications themselves, and then you're going to lock them in based on that. That's that's not helpful to the borrower to to get the get it wrong there and change the pricing on them and then going over such a finite line like 40% if you're 39.9 or 40.1 that's such a small amount of income change or debt change that really throws you into um it can be a loop of pricing adjustments, right? You know, today we tweak this number and your pricing gets worse and tomorrow we tweak it back and your pricing gets better. And uh, is that really a valid change circumstance? And there's so many, so many messy parts to that, that I really agree with uh, the MBA that this isn't the right way to approach it. And hopefully FHFA hears us and, you know, MBA has offered to get a panel of lenders together to really explain the details, you know, that's that's what we really need is a partnership to talk with the with us ahead of time about what we're proposing, so we can say we understand your goal. Let's find a reasonable way to get there because this DTI adjustment has just made things really ugly. Very well put. The DTI adjuster, the increased fees in some of the buckets, uh, it just makes it it makes it tougher to price people accurately. At the point of sale, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, one other question I have for you, I've never brought this up with any any guests, but just the nature of employment today in America, so much more side hustle, mm-hmm. people earning side money here, doing this, doing that. Um, you know, obviously, you know, just generally speaking, side hustle money, harder to verify and use as part of the picture um, than, than stable, long time employment. Talk if you can. This was not in our show notes script, so I'm totally putting on the uh, <laughs> on the on the spot here. But just the general complexity of that. You mentioned a couple different times the importance of loan officers of you know taking a complete app and identifying all the information up front. 
um, seems just always important, but probably even more important today than ever. No. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're getting into, you know, self-employed complexities. I mean, that's always been a difficult piece of underwriting loans. It's, it's not a, a black and white area at all. There's a lot of income calculators out there and different agencies or different investors want to see it different ways. And so it's it's not uh, as simple as give me your 1099. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. So it really is. If, if we go down this route, it's a big... Uh, area of education for those who talk to borrowers up front, for the loan officers, even for the processors collecting the right pieces of documentation up front. Um, And then we can, as an industry, we can probably provide our loan originators with better tools to gather that information up front. But again, we've been as an industry going the opposite direction of the self-help, you know, online, enter the information yourself, that's great when you can verify income through the work number and things like that. But this gig economy, these this new generation of of different types of employment doesn't fit that that simple box. The you know you mentioned uh, credit costs, another big issue with the lenders right now, just the increase in, in credit costs in general. Um, you know, and now you kind of have a situation where you you could, in theory, this is going to create more credit pulls and more credit work, uh, you know, during the life cycle of a loan, all purchase deals tougher to do. You got some new complexities in the delivery fee system. How have you guys adjusted to the credit cost increases? Anything creative you're doing there? You've always been one of our go-tos in the network on kind of the cap markets and the finance side. So welcome any perspective you have there. Just general cost cutting and some of the increased costs that lenders are facing as they head into, you know, largely an uncertain year. Yeah. These, these cost increases have been a shock to the system, really significant increases. Uh, I don't know that we're doing anything terribly creative on on the credit side. We're definitely pushing soft pulls. Uh, That's, that's becoming more and more of a uh, tool that we realize we need to use. It was, you know, some people use it and some people didn't, but with the cost increases, we have to go that route and, and really try and minimize that cost because that's something that's that every loan you don't close, you eat that cost. Uh, and there's, there's no way to absorb that except for increasing the cost for all borrowers, right? I mean, we were talking about, you were talking about last week, the, the margins, we don't we don't have extra room to just absorb increased credit report costs. It just at the end of the day, it costs all borrowers more. Um, I mean, I could see a, a scenario where, with the cost that these credit reports are are uh, coming in at, that you start charging them up front like uh, you do an appraisal. Uh, but if your competitors don't do that, you can't do that, right? That's <laughs> that's the hard part. We either all do it or we don't. And I don't see uh, some of the bigger names willing to to start doing that. So that means we're all stuck with the way that the model that we have now, which again, it's, it's just increased co- costs for everybody because it goes into overhead. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by Chief Financial Officer for Homestar Financial, Stacy Moore. And Stacy, yeah, you mentioned the increased credit costs uh, you know, increased costs in general. I think in the past, when the government has maybe passed through costs 
through the GSEs. Rob Crisman likes to talk frequently on our Friday show about the 10 basis point, the G fee thing that was put in like a decade ago that was like part of some spending bill and, and still is in place today. You know, you know, I think largely like the way that DC views are, and oh, they make so much money there in the re like, you know, they, there's not a lot of sympathy for the mortgage industry during tough times, which I never understood that because the tough times in our industry are brutal. Can the good times be good? Yes. But if you look at like, even out like a, you know, an average 10 year period, you know, our, our industry doesn't deserve to you have that reputation in my opinion and maybe we need to do a better job of you know just as an industry talking about that a little more but where i was going with that is in the past when they've done they've ah, yeah, a lender will absorb it or you know kind of but now any it's going to go right to the bar right lenders can't take any more hits any cost increase that is levied in any form or fashion is going to go directly to people purchasing homes Hundred percent. The the competition is so fierce that we've we've squeezed as tight as we can. There's there's no room to absorb anything else. Yeah, you just you can't you can't take any more hits, and you know, and maybe that a little little lost. I mean, I get that you know these delivery fees. It, it's it's not. You know, I don't like people just like complain, and you know, there's always a flip side to everything. There's always two sides to every story, and the other side to this delivery fee story is like if you want to if you want to decrease the delivery fees for six twenty to six seventy nine. Based on, you know, the performance history of that bucket, it's costly to do so. There's a reason those delivery fees are higher. If you reduce them, you know, Treasury is, and I think that's why we have what we have. They're like, hey, you got, we got to get that money from, from somewhere else. I thought it was the increased fees on the cash outs and the second homes from a year ago. <laughs> Definitely, that was uh, just an appetizer. So, <clears throat> yeah, I you know, the agencies have their their marching orders, uh, their duty to serve, right? They've got these these goals that they need to meet. And I think that they are subsidizing, uh, you know, the affordable housing for certain areas of the market that need more help with, uh, you know, increased costs for those that don't fall into those buckets. But I do believe one of their goals is to get private investors to come in and move into that space. So, if they keep squeezing the good quality borrowers, eventually someone will come in and say, I can do that cheaper. I'm willing to take that risk for less. And we'll see more entrance into the market. I do believe that's one of their goals. Just if we don't have those private entrants, it just it gets more and more painful until if and when that time comes. Do you think, what do you see as the impact, you know, if these delivery fees go in place, uh, I think it's May 1. Um over 680 business that goes to FHA. Do you anticipate a lot of that business moving over to FHA just because just of the straight, you know, better option for the bar? Do you see that happening or no? Not not with MIP the way that it is now. Now, you know, there's talks about MIP cuts at some point coming. Whatever happened I, to that? I, I mean, I... <laughs> It's not a matter of if, but when, but we don't know when. However, I don't think those are going to be drastic enough to really open that up as, as much either. I think FHA is still a, a need to product rather than a want to product. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, what else is going on in the news, Stacey? Uh, a story we were bouncing back and forth this week. Chat GPT, obviously big news in the world and America and uh, pretty 
you know, interesting AI technology that us the more we've seen some of this stuff, obviously, in our industry. And now the, the greater world is kind of seeing the power of AI. The, the story that became newsworthy um, was one done by CNN that it's, you know, basically saying this could really change the face of not the mortgage industry, but it's more about the real estate industry, realtors, the way they list properties. And, but certainly, uh, has the potential to bleed over into our industry as well. Your thoughts on that story this week? <clears throat> yeah, I was having a conversation about that with our chief digital officer here, uh, who's had a chance to play around with it. And uh, unfortunately, he planted the little uh, bug in my ear that uh, our kids will start using this for their homework. <laughs> so now I have that to worry about. But there's already enough. I have four teenagers. <laughs> I cannot tell you the amount of cheating already opportunities that exist uh for for high school students so uh, another one you want we wonder you know we're falling behind all these other countries like, academically i'm seeing i'm experiencing firsthand why these last couple of years so uh, if you got any parenting tips on that rich i'll take those offline but no good ones. Uh, <laughs> This this chat GPT has has amazing potential for a lot of industries um including real estate our our chief digital officer in, in his experience you know it's it's not anything super powerful today, but absolutely that potential is there and it's something to be watched. Uh, it has a lot of great potential. I heard today that Google has their competitive product coming out, Baron, I think it is. Uh, so they've got some competition, which is good. I mean, two, two different platforms competing to be the best in this AI uh, is only going to make them stronger. But uh, I think it's going to be a topic of conversation uh, in the real estate industry this year. 2023 is probably going to be really big for this. And I think the the potential or the opportunities on it here in February and at the end of the year in December are going to be drastically different. We're going to see a lot of growth in that area. I think you're right. You know, our industry, it's probably not where I thought it would be at this point, if you would ask me like three or four years ago, but it's clearly emerging some AI companies that uh, doing some things on moving of files, underwriting and other kind of loan manufacturing uh, parts of the process, but still it's kinks for sure. Um, and I did, I, I bought a house like a couple of years ago, a year and a half and, and you know, I remember going through the process, which I had not been in a long time. And I remember just coming away thinking in, in the lender I used, used one of these really high-end point of sales, made the application process so easy and seamless and intuitive, like asking the right next question. But then you submit the app. And I was really surprised, you know, it was a fairly easy file. Um, the amount of interaction I still had with a processor back and forth after I submitted everything pretty thoroughly. In my mind, that was one maybe area where AI can really come in. It seems like they're, you know, uh, and again, quality of application, quality of all that, but but it's it seems like there's some opportunity from like, you know, the great point of sale apps to, okay, the files underwritten, like that part of the process for AI to further impact our industry. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're using Candor as our technology there. And just since I was introduced to it uh, a year and a half ago, I've seen big improvements in it. You know, there's investment there, there's growth in the technology there, and we're going to, that's that's going to build on each other and, and we should see a lot of improvement. But you're right. We aren't as far along as I would have expected us to be either. Yeah. And that's through a company I was alluding to, Candor, a good, good partner at TMC and 
I mean, that's how we learn about companies like that. We listen to lenders like you that are having good experiences with them. We go in, we do our own due diligence and, and try to forge partnership agreements with the companies to get our members better terms. That's kind of one of the things we do. And so had our ear to the ground on that space. And yeah, we're starting to see some some new exciting things emerge. So uh, more to come on that front. Um, other news uh, this week, not really directly specific to the mortgage industry, but affects us is just the whole work from home and work remote thing. I, the big news story was that uh, commercial office vacancies hit 50% nationally for, or I'm sorry, uh, vacant uh, not, buildings were over 50% full for the first time since the pandemic. So kind of a seminal moment and, you know, kind of led to a lot of news stories and discussion around kind of the future of remote work. If you look at um, most industries and nationally, and our network is the same. We just did a a survey of our members a few weeks ago on this topic, and it was essentially uh, 50% some sort of hybrid, 20% almost all in person, 25% almost all remote. And that's kind of where our industry is settled. Where is Homestar? And where do you see just the future, I guess, of remote work in the mortgage industry as it relates to those percentages and trends? Yeah. So so I fall right into that hybrid model. I work from home two, three days a week in the office two or three days a week. But we have a lot of people that work solely from home. Uh, our in-person staff, we we used to have two buildings. Now we only have one. It's, it's shrunk dramatically. And uh, when we do go into the office, I kind of laugh because we'll stumble trying to get something onto the conference room monitor when it's so easy to just share your screen from home. And it's like, let's just go home. It's easier to do it that way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We got this work from home thing down now. Yeah, it's efficient. But, you know, there are definitely industries that being in person is much more important than others. And you are hearing more companies ask employees to start coming back into the office. And I, I... I'm not surprised when when everyone shifted to at home in 2020, they talked about give it a couple of years and then we'll start to see what the future is really going to look like because that was temporary. Uh, so it got us it got us to all experience it and then start figuring out what works for for your company and what doesn't, because we are finding out that there are some challenges to working in the office that are overcome by the same technology of working from home, you know. Even though I've got my laptop in the conference room at, at the office, I don't have my multiple monitors and it's just not as efficient for me. But this is going to affect our industry more from the terms of the real estate in being very market specific. But where you're lending, if you're more rural and all of a sudden your buyers dry up because people are moving back to the city, that can really impact things. I think right now is a good time for it to happen because we have such a housing shortage that housing's just needed. Someone's going to move there, you know, but once we get that sort of evened out and we've got enough uh, housing stock for the amount of demand that we have, you might start seeing some downward price pressure pressure on the rural markets if this continues, if this trend continues of bringing more people back into the office. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by the Chief Financial Officer of Homestar Financial Corp., Stacy Moore. Stacy, the um, you know the, the 
in big IMBs continue to be in the news. And, and now it's, you know, UWM can't stay out of the news. Ishbia's buying the Suns. And you got it's rivalry with Rocket. You know, my team, the Cavs, is owned by Rocket CEO Dan Gilbert. Ishbia just bought the Suns. The NBA owners just voted. They voted 29-0 to approve the sale. Uh, Rocket abstained. Then came out the next day and said, hey, any of you brokers getting sued by UWM, uh, we'll pay your legal fees. <laughs> it's just, it never goes away. I, I you know, like the, uh, do you find, as, as, you know, CFO of an IMB, not that size, but nice size, do you, do you find it comical? Like, how do you view, you know, the constant news headlines of of the biggest IMB? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I do get some laughs out of it. That's for sure. Uh, you know, I was I was really happy to see Rocket do that because I am in the same uh, boat as a lot of people in saying that what U- UWM did was unfair, and it's it's just it's it's being a poor sport. You know, uh, you you need to compete on your merits and and not prevent people from taking their business elsewhere. So I was glad to see that they're saying, hey, you know we're going to help you guys if if you're stuck in this situation from you know this being this heavy-handed move uh we're going to we're going to give you some leverage they're going to use their strength to to help the smaller guys uh and yeah you know the broker model is our competition uh but i am all for a fair playing field and you know the imb model has its merits and happy to stand by it and say we've got a great model and the broker model fits some people as well. And there's room enough for both of us. In the chat, a couple of guys, I ignored the one about my clock being an hour fast. Evidently with the stockings covering it, I missed uh, daylight savings. <laughs> I'm an hour fast. So, um, which terrified me actually earlier today when I thought I was late for the show. Um, and then also a question about the heavy handed move that UWM pulled. This was about a year ago, it was early last year when they basically said, if you do business with UWM, you can't do business with Rocket. They made brokers sign this attestation statement, and they've taken some to court that have signed it and just still sold the Rocket. So now Rocket's saying, "Hey, we'll we'll pay your legal bills if you're you want Never, never in a million years did I think any company or any human could make people sympathize for Rocket Mortgage. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Like, like, I mean, really, honestly, is really, they got, Rocket has got to be sitting there laughing their asses off. Like, you know, because their statement was something along, we, it was a smart statement. It was about the, you know, the you can't do business with other, with Rocket uh, thing. And they're like, it's one of the worst things we've ever seen happen to the industry and really defies the entire spirit of the mortgage broker, which is choice and option. They're calling it their bully shield. I mean, (laughs) that name made me laugh. But I like that they took it a step further because UWM did this against both Rocket and Fairway. And Rocket said, we'll provide this protection for you, even if it's because you're giving loans to Fairway. It's not just their self-preservation. It's saying, we don't agree with the way that this was handled in our industry. So. I, I got some friends at Fairway, like when they included Fairway in that last year, Fairway had like a tiny little wholesale channel and they got a huge lift off that. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it cracks me up. But uh, <laughs> as as the world turns uh, in uh, with with our uh, friends over at UWM. So uh, in general, last thing to take us uh, home for the week, the general competitive landscape would would welcome your perspective on this. Um, you know, obviously a lot of the big IMB is trying to grow and scale. And, you know, if you're a real small independent mortgage bank uh, without a ton of capital, it's, it can be a tough, tough situation. 
you know, you got some of the big banks that are kind of getting out of retail mortgage or correspondent mortgage. And um, I just would love to hear your thoughts on just the general competitive landscape as we get into 2023. Sure. I mean, that's, you know, if you don't like change, if you don't like challenge, you're in the wrong industry. Uh, I've been in this industry for 16 years. I've seen good times and bad times. And uh, no matter what size you are, it's difficult. Uh, you know, it's difficult for the big guys right now, too. Uh, but it's definitely very challenging if you're if you're a smaller or medium-sized IMB. It, it's a tough time. But this is a season and seasons change. And you got you to gotta find your strengths to stick it out. But uh, there's better times coming. Very well said. A nice optimistic tone to uh, take us home. And Stacy, really, really appreciate you being on the show this week. Always do such a good job, and uh, you will certainly be uh, be asked back uh, to co-host again. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. And to our attendees, thanks as always for joining us. We're here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. My clock says it's 3 p.m. Eastern, but it's really 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, for the last week in mortgage today, you can find us on YouTube, find us on podcasts, search TMC Connect, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next Tuesday, have a great rest of the week, everyone. Take care. Bye, Stace. Bye. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.